With all of these things in mind, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to bring the lights up so you can see a little bit better. And I'm just going to continue what was begun musically and see where things go tonight. Uh, as I said a few minutes ago, it's the second Sunday of Advent, which is the part of the church calendar each year where we focus on uh, the arrival of Jesus on the earth. Uh, both the first arrival, which we celebrate at Christmas time, and uh, the arrival that is to come. And uh, began last week, just kind of a two-part series on the kingdom of God and kind of what that looks like. So, um, as you may have seen on your way in, or maybe smelled at some point, we have a pancake Dinner afterwards tonight, we, uh, our church was at one point in time a college ministry over at Parkview Baptist, and on the last Sunday night before everybody took finals and scattered out for the break, we would kind of have a, one, like a meal together as our last little thing where you knew you'd see everybody, and that's just carried over and uh, stuff like that. So to those of you uh, LSU students who are starting finals tomorrow, good luck. Uh, these pancakes are for you. They're in your honor, so to speak. And so I would hope that you could stick around tonight and uh, be a part of not only a uh, pancake dinner with all the toppings you can stand, but also our first talent show uh, that we've ever had. And uh, there are some acts that, let's just say, you won't want to miss. Um, and we'll leave it at that. There's, a, there's like a flatbed trailer that is going to be our, our stage. It's where the magic will happen tonight. And you may notice that it's got a foam. And you know, there's like little like multicolored things you have in like nurseries and stuff. It's on the trailer. And so I'll just let you wonder, why would there need to be a rubber floor, a coating, a protective layer put down on the stage for tonight? Maybe that'll help you stick around. Okay. Matthew 13 begins with a parable that maybe you've heard before. Maybe you haven't. It's okay either way. Uh, Start in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him. So that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. Saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed. Uh, and by that, we're talking about just like scattering seed. He was a farmer that was scattering uh, seeds onto the ground. Um, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so then he, uh, the disciples kind of came to him, asked him some questions. So he, he tells this story, this like farming story to all these people, and uh, you know, it probably didn't make a lot of sense. 
and the, his disciples are like, why do, you, you know, why do you talk this way? Why do you teach in parables and stuff like that? And so he kind of answers them, you know, we're, we're going to skip that part because there's a lot to it. Uh, but in verse 18, he explains what that parable means. Um, so look at verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Okay, so he helps, he assigns meaning to the different parts of the parable. And there are a number of things that we, that we learn here that Jesus, you know, that he, he has a way of, when he teaches about one thing, he's actually teaching about like ten things, which is kind of his thing. Um, so uh, I have used this passage in a lot of teaching settings and stuff like that over the years. And in more settings than I've used it, the Lord has used this passage in my own life to teach me a lot of things about ministry and people and myself and all this kind of stuff. And uh, properly like placed in the context of this chapter within this part of Matthew, uh, this is primarily about the kingdom of God. And a part of what this tells us is that there's a lot going on in, an, in like the people all around us. So if the farmer is scattering seeds around and there's some, some ground that's a path, or like they all walked, um, they walked everywhere they went and took paths everywhere. So there was like ground that was matted down and pressed down to where it was basically like a hard like cement, like a sidewalk. Um, he compared that ground uh, to ground where there's like thorns and stuff growing in it to, to like ground where there are rocks and stuff in it. To ground that is like been all the rocks have been removed, all the thorns have been removed. It's been turned up. It's uh, it has just the right amount of moisture and minerals and all that kind of stuff. That when you are farming, the success of the of the seeds that you are planting are, can be directly tied to the condition of the soil. And people are the same way. That when when the word of the kingdom goes into someone's life, there's a lot going on with them that that will determine the, what happens when that word hits their hearts. Um, so, what I want us to look at, though, tonight is what this tells us about the kingdom itself. Um, last week, I'd, I kind of tried to like, just lay a foundation of like, what does the kingdom of God mean. And if you look, you look at verse 19, in this story... Uh, so he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the word of the kingdom is, is the, these are the seeds that are being planted. The word of the kingdom. So what does that even mean? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, 
Uh, we're going to throw this up on the screen. You don't need to turn to it. This was like one of the things that, that describes Jesus' ministry and what he went to preach everywhere. This is, it's like simply, oh, there you are. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? So this statement is probably what is being referred to here in the parable as like the word of the kingdom that's planted in someone's heart. This, this concept the word of the kingdom, the good news about the kingdom of God. And it is simply this, um, that because Jesus has come to the earth, he has brought with him this new opportunity, um, which is to have God himself ruling and reigning in every aspect of our lives. So last week I talked about something that was a little, it was a little strange. I got interesting feedback during the week, you know, from, because it's, the Bible talks about us in all kinds of different ways. You know, it says that we're, we're God's children. Another place it'll say we're the bride of Christ. Somewhere else it says that we're a building, you know, we're all bricks in a building. Another place it says that we're sheep, you know, and there's just all kinds of different things. Rarely do we talk about the aspect of kingship, though. And how in, when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over all that was created. And dominion and kingdom are tied together. Those are ideas. So Adam and Eve were kings over the things that God had put them in charge of. And dominion and rule and reign are basically, uh, if there is something where you are the bottom line, whatever you say, that's how it goes, that's your kingdom. And so there's this kingship that exists among all of us. It's how God made us. Um, Because Adam and Eve sinned, they were separate from God. And so their kingship was cut off from God's kingship. He put them outside the Garden of Eden. And then uh, humanity just went from there. And being outside of Eden means that we're outside of God's rule and reign in regard to our kingship. And so Jesus comes and he begins to teach this very thing. He says, repent, all right, which means to change the way that you think, um, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is now available. It's now an option to you. Uh, this was not a new kingdom that he was creating. It had always existed, but mankind didn't have access to it because of sin. And so Jesus is going around and he's telling this good news of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the seed that's being planted in the hearts of men and women all over the place as he was preaching and teaching, uh, is just that very thing. That now, um, God's kingdom, his rule and his reign can be um, unified with your rule and your reign of the things that you are responsible for to where your kingdom looks like his kingdom. So, the perfect, holy sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe who is not uh, locked in by time. He's not uh, confined to space. He's not limited in his knowledge. He is without limitation in every possible way. He will teach you how to manage your kingdom in the way that he would so that over time your kingdom and his kingdom look exactly the same. And actually, they are one and the same. And so Jesus is preaching this good news of like, guess what? You don't have to, you don't have to struggle your way through anymore. You don't have to fight to figure out what, what to do. You don't have to 
to wonder what the right decisions are and, and just feel all this pressure that's on you. You don't have to, to keep trying to be good, keep trying to keep the rules, keep trying and trying and trying and trying. There's a new way that's available to you. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's talking about, in one sense, literally through him being there. Uh, he is the kingdom. He is the doorway to the kingdom. And now heaven has come near to us. And so when we sing songs like we have about our king has come, uh, he was born to deliver his people, uh, all these kinds of things, it's all in this idea of God's rule and reign like being synonymous and one with us, that there's this unity that exists now uh, in our lives. And so um, that's the good word uh, of the kingdom. And, and I wish that I could just explain it so much better than I can. Uh, I really struggle, partly because I get real worked up about it, and then I lose all my words. Um, and I'm just sorry that that happens, because that's kind of important to what I do for a living. So I'm working on it. But I get just... This really amped up about it when, I, when I'm talking about it, when I'm thinking about it. And um, as, that, as that happens, I look at this and I'm like, how could anyone just refuse that? You know? How could anyone, why would anybody hear, that, guess what? God will help you run your life. God will take your life and make it everything that it, it was ever supposed to be. That Jesus comes to the earth and models for us the life we were actually created to live. And you look at his life and you're like, I want to be just like that. And he's like, I'll, I'll help you do this. This is the kingdom. I'll make you just like me. You're, I, you can be my, my apprentices and I will teach you and grow you and I'll mentor you. And, and, and over time, eventually... They all, it starts to look the same, and it's beautiful. And I'm like, why would anybody just be like, no, I don't want anything to do with that? Well, this parable tells us that that is a real possibility. And the reason why it's a real possibility is because there are conflicting kingdoms at work. That here we are, living this life, and there are kingdoms battling each other. Just like in the in like the the all around the globe, there are nations that get along, and there are nations that have just const, are constantly at war. That is happening with us as well. When the kingdom of ourselves and the kingdom of God, there is conflict that is happening. And so, this parable kind of helps us identify the fact of some of these conflicting kingdoms that exist. Um, he talks about the uh, talks about the evil one in verse nineteen. Um, he compares him to a little bird. Which I just, I don't know why I like that so much. You know, there's, there's one place in the Bible where it, like Satan is described as a roaring lion, you know. And I'm sure he probably likes that a lot. And then there's here where he's like, he's like a little bird that flies in and takes a seed and flies away, you know. I kind of like that a little bit better. Uh, the evil one is, like, that, there's like a real kingdom that's there. Um, that is obviously at conflict with the kingdom of God because he's trying to take away what has been planted. Then he goes on, uh, the next one, see verse 20, talks about the seed on the rocky ground. It's the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Tribulation and persecution 
Those point to other conflicting kingdoms that are there. Tribulation and trial and strife. Uh, you know, like when someone hears the gospel, you know, they're like, yes, I want that completely. And then it begins to cost you something. And life gets hard. And you're like, oh, no, I don't, I, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. Um, that's a conflicting kingdom. That's part, in part the kingdom of self. That when you realize that, that in order for God's kingship and your kingship to intertwine, there is a submission that has to happen, you know. There is a surrender that, that is, is there, you know. That's why the Bible doesn't only talk about us in terms of kings, but also in, in terms of, of servants and stewards. And even at, at, at times uh, in, in much more harsh terms that are, that are used. So it's not an exclusive thing like we're only kings. It's all a part of it. But sometimes when we realize that, man, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, living in this kingdom and becoming just like him, man, you've got to pay for that sometimes. Sometimes you lose, you lose friends. Sometimes you, um, you say no to things that end up costing you, you know, socially. Or sometimes it's family. And sometimes it's like stuff, you know. Things that you have acquired and like you feel like God being like, you got, you got to get rid of that. You got to let that go. You got you to rework your budget. You got, you got to start saying no to these things or taking up all your time. And start saying yes to these things that are a deeper investment of of yourself. Sometimes when that when he is mentoring you as a king, sometimes you're like, man, I, I mean, I, I wish that I could do that, but I just can't. So that's a conflicting kingdom, the kingdom of self through tribulation. Uh, it says that sometimes persecution comes in there, and so that's other people, you know, that are coming at you, and so that's other people's kingdoms that are uh, waging war against like your kingdom and the kingdom of God, and so uh, we have this the this kingdom of the enemy, this kingdom of of ourselves and our own struggle with that and other people's kingdoms that are at work. Um, verse 22, uh, what was sown among the thorns? This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The cares uh, uh, of the world, just, we live in this world that tells us that certain things are important and valuable and, and we begin to obsess over those things and work toward those things and prioritize those things. And um, whenever you begin to, to do that, whenever you... Um, you watch TV, you um, watch movies, you read books, you buy into culture, you keep up with what's going on all around the world. Uh, there's this order that is just, um, sometimes it's explicit, but a lot of times it's just implicit, and we begin to order things, and like Jesus tends to kind of slip down, you know, the list there. And, um, that's a conflicting kingdom. That's the, the world that we live in that is, that is opposed to the kingdom of God. And so... He's saying, hey, some people, the reason why the kingdom is not going to take root and grow in their lives is because the worries and cares of the world um, are more important to them. Um, and he says the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a killer right there. Um, I, I talk to the, to the college community group a, a lot about, you know, like trying to, trying to get things sunk into them now while they don't have any money, you know. Because it's, it's, there's a reason why Jesus like personifies money. Because uh, it is almost, it's an entity almost, you know, it's, there's just something about it. And, uh, and so the deceitfulness of wealth can get in there. That's another kingdom that's there. And so, um, so Jesus is saying, the problem is not with the seed that's being planted. It's not with the kingdom and the word of the kingdom or the messenger. Um, the problem is, is the condition of the human heart. Because there are all these kingdoms that are conflicting with each other. And that's a part of what Advent is about. 
is we, um, we acknowledge this, that our, our king has come. And if you're a Christian, now you're able to say, okay, um, this is King Jesus. He has come to save me from my sins and make available to me the kingdom of God, which has existed from the beginning of the world and will always exist, and I can live in that right now, in this moment. He is here uh, for all these things. For us, that's a part of what Advent is. It's also about looking around and being like, yeah, and at the same time, what in the world is going on around us? It'd be so easy just to focus on that on that and pretend like nothing else is wrong, but then you watch the news, you read the paper, maybe, you, you see Twitter, uh, whatever, whatever you kids are doing nowadays. Uh, we see that something still ain't right. So look at what comes after the parable of the sower. Verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like... Oh, no, wait. Sorry, I jumped too far. Sorry. Look at verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds, also, uh, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No. Lest in the gathering the weeds you, uh, the weeds you root up No, lest in gathering Sorry. I'm struggling tonight to read. No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up, the wheat along with them. Um, Sorry. I'm putting my emphasis in the wrong part. No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. You didn't know that my talent show entry would start early. Uh, There it is. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now he goes on later on to explain and kind of assign some meaning to this, but I don't, I don't want to look at that tonight. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. There's wheat that's been planted. An enemy has come in and also planted weeds. And they grow up and they're all there. And the servants are eager and meaning well. And they're like, hey, let's just, let's just like, let's go rip those weeds out of there. And he's like, yeah, but I don't want to damage the wheat. So let's let them grow all the way to maturity. And then when it's time to harvest them, we'll do the separating then. What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Well... There's a number of things, but let me just say this, kind of this one. These conflicting kingdoms are being allowed to grow up together, side by side, completely on purpose. 
Jesus is saying that in his sovereignty, he's decided to let all these things coexist. That in the parable of the sower, the different things that are, are um, determining what, like the life of the seed that has been planted, the rocks, the thorns, the bird, the, all those things that are, that are in there, he's decided to let all those things exist. He's decided to let them grow up side by side with you and me on purpose until it's time to basically come back again and deal with everything once and for all. So in Advent, we, we celebrate the fact that He has come and brought this kingdom to us, given us access. We also acknowledge the fact that, man, there's some garbage going on in our world. And we're growing up, and it's growing up, and it's all around us. But at some point, the harvest is going to happen. And the reapers are going to come, and it will all be dealt with. So for now, this is how it is. And so a part of Advent is sitting in that. Sitting in that field as a stalk of wheat. And you're not alone. There's a bunch of other wheat stalks around us. But there's also a bunch of weeds in the form of an enemy, in the form of self, in the form of pride, in the form of uh, the deceitfulness of wealth, and all these things that are there. And so we're growing and they're growing, and that's a part of it. And so some of what we do at Advent is we, we ask him to hurry up. And theologians talk about the kingdom of God. They always have this, this phrase that they use that's really important for us to understand. They call it the already, not yet kingdom. The already, not yet kingdom. So is the, has the, the kingdom of God come near? Yes. Because Christ has come near. Is the kingdom of God available to you because of Christ? Yes. Can you live in that now and not have to wait till heaven? Yes. Is the king of the universe helping you uh, as a king over your little like, kingdom there? Yes. Are you growing and maturing and he's helping you? And, uh, I hope so. Yes. But has the harvest come yet? No. Is has the evil one been dealt with once and for all? Yes and not yet. Have we been delivered? Yes and not yet. You know, there's a, this reality, but yet there's still like a final completion that is yet to come. And at first it's, it, it seems kind of confusing because if Jesus is going around, like in Matthew 4, and really all, all throughout his ministry preaching, the, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is here. Why is there still so much garbage around the world? And this is why. Because he's decided to come twice. He's come the first time at Christmas that we celebrate, and he's coming again at some point that we don't know. And he thought that's the best way to do it. And he is never wrong. So we sit in that tension between them. Now, 
This should be kind of frustrating to us, but it should also be very hopeful to us. And we are much more familiar with the already not yet, maybe than we realize. Okay? I'll tell you two things that exist a lot in our culture and a lot in this church that are already not yet that maybe would help us. One would be um, people who are engaged to be married. All right? Uh, that, for the last however many years, there's just been just a constant like, thing about this congregation. Lots of weddings, lots of wedding showers, lots of engagement parties, lots of that that's, that happens all the time. And it's amazing, and it's awesome. Um, the engagement stage is already not yet. It has that tension that's there. So everybody who has ever been engaged or is engaged or will be engaged at some point will figure out exactly what that is like. Because certain things about marriage are in place already when you are engaged. You love one another, hopefully. You, uh, you have made a commitment. And even if it's just a commitment to be committed, you know, whatever, it's a commitment that's in place. You are, you're starting to talk about terms, things in, in, in this idea of like we and us and our future and where are we going to live um, and how your different careers and stuff impact those kinds of things and um, how your like, money is going to, like two bank accounts become one bank account and um, all these kinds of things. There, there is this, this oneness that kind of begins and you start to read books about marriage, and you start to have dinner with married couples and learn things, and you go through premarital counseling, and you're planning this wedding and stuff. And so you are already married in some ways, but you're not married yet. And there are certain things that, um, uh, certain things that don't happen until you are married. So when you're engaged, you, you kind of have this angst. And everyone I've ever seen be engaged has it. You're almost frustrated because you just want that date to get there, you know? You just want, like, the, the wedding to happen and kind of be over with a little bit. You're just ready to be on the other side uh, of, of that, um, where you can enjoy everything that comes with marriage and all that kind of stuff. So, engagement is like this already not yet thing. Similarly, um, another thing in our church that's already not yet, being pregnant. That happens a lot too. So wedding showers, baby showers. Uh, that is just, it's, it's happening all the time. For a pregnant woman, is she a mom? Yes, absolutely. Um, is she a mom in the same way that she will be a mom after the baby is born? Well, no. Both are motherhood, but it's just, it's just a little different. That's all it is. So while she's pregnant, uh, planning, praying, you know, you're picking out a name, you're getting the nursery ready, you're having all these things that are there, and you are, again, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And I've been around enough pregnant ladies to know there comes a point of angst <laughs> where they're just like, I don't care when or where, this has this got to go. You know, something's got to happen. 
And um, I joke with every pregnant woman who kind of is getting closer. I'm like, maybe it's during church. Maybe it's during church. Maybe it's tonight. You know, we're going to turn the bass up real loud and just see, see what happens, you know. Um, there's that, that angst that builds up. Because pregnancy, you are already, there's a sense of already not yet that's there. So what do you do during the engagement time? What do you do during pregnancy? For an engaged couple, in every way that you can be married without being married, that's how you live. And you know, you know what I mean by that. So in the ways that you can, you do that. And in the ways that you can't, you wait. You long for those days. You get excited about that. You have that date circled on your calendar. So much anticipation. But you wait. For a woman who is pregnant, in all the ways that she is a mom, you be a mom. And you do all the things that you can do for that baby's health, and you, everything is good, and then uh, you wait. And you really, I guess in a sense, you don't really know when. It's kind of this element of surprise that's there, but in all the ways that you can be a mom, you're a mom. We understand the already, not yet, more than, more than we think we do. So what do we do in the already not yet kingdom? How do we, what do we do as we have this new life that's there, but yet we're surrounded by all this other stuff? Well, in every way that you can live in the kingdom now, you do that. In every possible way, you do that. Jesus even says it, if you look back at the parable, verse 30. It says, let both grow together until the harvest. So you know what you do? You grow. You just simply grow. You grow as a king. You grow as a steward. You grow as a servant. You grow as a a son or a daughter. You grow um, as a brother or as a sister. You, You just grow. In every way that you can live in the kingdom of God right now, you do that. And in every way that you can't until he comes back, you wait. You just do. And so you kind of embrace the angst. Because I'm sure that engaged people, pregnant people, would look at those seasons and be like, you know what, that was, there was some angst, there was some frustration there, but man, it was, it was neat. There's some, some unique stuff that happened then. There's some unique stuff that is happening right now. And so we wait and we grow. In the Lord's Prayer, you know, his disciples ask, you know, like, teach us how to pray, and so he's teaching them. And there's this line that, that probably, even, the, even people who aren't around church are probably familiar with it. He says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is Jesus coaching us in how to wait, and how to live in the already not yet kingdom. It says, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's tie those together. 
And so what you're doing is you're saying, Lord, in, in any place in my own life where the kingdom has not yet become established, will you bring your kingdom into that part of my life? If it's your, if it's your marriage, if it's in your friendships, if it's in your abiding life, if it's in your finances, if it's in your approach to work, if it's in whatever it is, um, you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's, let's, let's erase the line between earth and heaven in every area of our lives. That's how you wait and how you grow. That's how the wheat becomes distinct from the weeds and how the kingdom of God becomes distinct from the kingdoms that are conflicting all around it. And Jesus looks at us and says, you know what, this is good. The wheat and the weeds growing up together, this is good. Let them grow together. Let it happen. Jesus says that because he is confident in his abilities to make it all right. And so what we do is we pray that prayer and we put ourselves in that place to grow in those kinds of ways. And the outworking of that into other people's lives uh, is a huge thing. And don't turn to it, but I, wanna, I just want to close with this last thing. In Luke chapter 4, in Jesus' uh, Really his like mission statement almost in his life. This is, this is what he says um, through the fulfilling of this prophecy. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. The poor not meaning monetarily poor. It means those in desperate need of God's grace. So you and I, as we are growing... Um, we are recipients of that grace. We're also surrounded by people who need His grace. And that's what Jesus has come to bring. And it says, He, God, has, God the Father, has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. All right, Those held captive to sin, He's come to, to bring freedom from that. Um, recovering of sight to the blind, the spiritually blind and the physically blind, uh, knowing that, that the... Diseases and physical battles that we fight, uh, both like mental and, and otherwise, all of that is because of like the fall of man, and he's come to set all that right. Uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed um, from those who um, have just have this sense of in, this injustice that's against them. And the last thing that he says in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is a a part of is of life in Israel, where every fifty years everything was was like you like hit the reset button. Every debt was forgiven. Every slave was set free. Everything, all land owner, everything went back to original ownership. This is like supposed to happen, even though they never did it. Uh, and that's a whole other thing. So Jesus says, "Look, I've I've come to bring this freedom to everyone." And he tells the group listening as he's reading this, he's like, "This has been fulfilled in your hearing today." So he's, in another sense, saying this is a description of what the kingdom looks like. It's freedom from all this stuff. And here we are in the already not yet kingdom. We're saying, I've experienced some of that stuff, and I know there are other people that have, but I'm surrounded by so much difficulty. So, in every way that you can live in the kingdom now, you do that. 
in any way that you can bring freedom to those who are oppressed, to those who are held captive, to those who are victims of injustice, to the, in any way that you can bring that reality into their lives now, you do that. In every way that you can live in the kingdom, you do it. And in the ways that you, that you just have to wait for, then you long for that. And you pray for that. And you say, Jesus, come quickly, please. Just like an engaged couple says, man, that date can't get here fast enough. And just like a woman who's about to have a baby says, oh, I can't wait. It just, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. We should have that same an, like, anticipation. That's a part of the already not yet. As we see a passage like that and we say, I'm so grateful that that is, is the reality in, in some ways now. And I can't wait until that's complete for everyone. So that's what we do. We, we live in it now in all the ways that we can. In the ways that we can't, we pray. And we wait. And we beg him. We tell him over and over again, I can't wait. Would you please come quickly? Would you please come quickly? You sit down, you watch the news long enough. And it's pretty terrible everywhere. And yet, you and I are stalks of wheat grown up in the midst of that. So you figure out what it looks like to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a part of what Advent celebrates. I think we need to sing a little bit. Stand up with me if you would. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I'm thankful that we can understand and identify with that already not yet tension, even in simple things like engagement and pregnancy and stuff. I'm grateful that when we we see those words about good news to the poor and those in need of your grace and freedom for those in captivity and victims of injustice and recovery of sight to those who have who have lost it uh, because of sin. It's amazing to know God that you you desire. Uh, to set them at liberty. It's also kind of frustrating at times, honestly, to know that for some that liberty happens now on this earth, and for some they just have to wait. But as we do that, um, I pray that you would instill in us a, a unique kind of confidence that comes It just comes from knowing that you are a keeper of your promises at all times and in all ways. That you aren't the God who fails to show up or changes his mind or gets distracted or whatever. That your your plans and your timing are always impeccable. And so I just ask that you help us... uh, because we want to we want to soak up all the good things that w- can exist in the 
in that tension of the already, not yet. We can't do that without your help. Uh, so we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, the, both, both an understanding of the already, not yet, in, in terms of a woman going to have a baby and a, a couple going to get married, both of those work their way into Scripture. Paul talks about the, like the, the birth pangs that come with um, like getting closer to Christ's arrival. And um, Jesus actually talks about the engagement language in, in talking about the, the kingdom and where we are now. Um, in that day, the bride and groom would, uh, you know, it was set up by their parents typically. Um, and it, which is not to say that it was like forced on them necessarily, but the, like the, the dads would meet and they would come, they would have this agreement on, uh, you know, what was going to happen. And um, then the, the groom and the bride would, they would drink from a common cup. Which, it's not a coincidence that we do that with communion. All right? uh, they would drink from a common cup. The bride would go back home, and her bridesmaids would go, and they would be with her, and they would wait. The groom would then go, and he would build a room onto the family house, and uh, add this extension on, and stuff like that. And however long it took, it, that's how long it took. She didn't know how long it was going to take. So maybe, maybe he was a trained carpenter and it was really quick and maybe like, he had no idea what he was doing and had to watch a lot of YouTube videos and just figure it out, you know, whatever. But um, however long it took, that's how long it took. And so he would go and prepare a place for her, which Jesus says that he has gone to do for us. So then whenever the place was ready, he would get everybody together and with all this fanfare and pageantry, he would go over to her house and knock on the door. Like, hey, it's time. And uh, then they would be married. So for Jesus to come to earth, drink from a common cup with us, tell his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in a day that you don't know, you're not sure when, I'm going to come back. He's essentially saying, this is the engagement stage between Jesus and his bride. We are living in the already, not yet, tension of that reality. And so, what should we do? We should be faithful. And we should wait. And we should wait with confidence in knowing everything is going to be fine. So we will sing a song that, that sometimes has like a, a darker tone to it in, in a sense, but I want us to sing it with some like confidence tonight, you know. I want it to be an, an, an Advent song for us. I'm saying that one day, may, maybe today, maybe it's on this earth, maybe on the earth to come, but at some point, this is going to be the, the case for everyone. And so as we sing it, let's do it from that perspective. Um, in the tension of the already, not yet. Uh, with a lot of hope because that's what Christ brings us.